podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I am absolutely buzzing, mate. There is only two more international football matches to get through before we can look forward to the Nations League. <laughs> the real excitement is the Nations League. I mean, that's what the game is played for. But yes, we have two games left in this World Cup. We've already previewed one of them, that being Morocco versus Croatia. So that just leaves us with the World Cup final to talk about. Argentina versus France. Both teams going for their third ever World Cup victory. France obviously victorious in 98 and 2018. Argentina have had to wait a while. 1978, they were winners. 1986, they were winners. They've lost two finals since in 90 and 2014. The French, of course, did lose in 06. So both of these countries know what it's like to experience the heartbreak of defeat. They know what it's like to feel the joy of victory. Carl, this is probably the final most people wanted pre-tournament other than France versus Brazil. Yeah, I think so. I think it felt like a lot of people, once we knew we could get it anyway, wanted the Argentina-Brazil semi-final. Um, obviously, if that ever happened in a final, that's that's its own thing. But as a semi-final, I think that's the game of the tournament that everybody wanted. And since we didn't get that, I think this was the the next in line, basically. There's lots and lots of subplots and storylines here and um, definitely the at least a couple of the most watchable or most watched players um, on show. And I guess if we are covering all bases, it's probably the final that Qatar wanted as well and FIFA and everything else involved in this sham of a facade of a terrible travesty of a tournament. Yeah, Qatar definitely wanted. Qatar probably wanted France Brazil because Qatar chose Mbappe and Neymar to be the faces of their club project at PSG. Messi has obviously now joined PSG, and Messi is the number one player in world football over the last fifteen years. So yeah, they, they if they couldn't have Brazil France. I think their next choice was to have the, the little man and his team. And look, it, it is it does kind of come down to Messi versus Mbappe. The two of them have had exceptional tournaments. Messi, even as Argentina began the tournament slowly, Messi was in pretty good form. Like in that Saudi Arabia game, he was the one Argentine who did look like he had turned up to play. 
whereas some of the rest of them maybe turned up expecting it to be a bit of a walkover. So their tournament so far, they lose to Saudi Arabia 2-1 in the first game, having gone 1-0 up. Then they beat Mexico 2-0. They changed some things around in their team, make a decision that Leandro Paredes needs to drop out, and they beat Mexico 2-0. Then they beat Poland 2-0. Then they beat Australia 2-1 in the round of 16. They beat the Netherlands on, on penalties after a 2-2 draw in the quarterfinals. And then they sweep Croatia side 3-0 in the semifinals. And that plants them here. For me, Carl, they seem to have gone from strength to strength as the games have gone past. I agree. I think they've... Um improved and impressed and generally got better tactically as a team working together wise it's been much improved and I think also they have we've 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 done a bit of detail already on how they've you know changed shape to to match up teams but I think the the important thing is that they haven't lost a way of playing I think they've they've on the ball they've attacked the same way as they did uh, from let's say game two onwards all mm. the way through to to the semi-finals it's been similar combination players it's been uh, in similar moments of matches where they sense that there's an opportunity here and they really go for it across a spell of like 10-15 minutes in matches I think that as much as they've changed where people are on the pitch in different defensive roles in an attacking sense it has been very very Argentina noticeably Argentina all the way through other than I would say the second half of that Saudi Arabia game, even the first half was was okay, to be honest. It was, you know, fine lines between them being 1-0 up and 6-0 up at times. So yeah, um, it really was just that second half, they completely lost their way. But it's the World Cup final. It's, it's going to be a temptation for them to be more reserved, to be more don't lose first, defensive minded, if you like. And I think that that's maybe something which applies to both teams. I hope for the sake of the final itself, that's not the case or not entirely the case. Um, Obviously, early goals change matters anyway, but I I think that Argentina might have reason to feel that they are the better footballing team here. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. And I think they'll also be able to kind of view themselves as underdogs in this game, which I think will play strongly into their mindset as well. I think they're a team that, while they will feel that they are the better footballing team, if they can feel some sort of slight from the general watching public, I think it just adds fuel to a mindset that has shown itself to be incredibly resilient in this tournament. Because when they lost to Saudi Arabia, there was a lot of pundits rushed to slate them to say that, you know, Messi's dream of winning a World Cup was over. He couldn't possibly lose to Saudi Arabia and then go on and win the competition. But as we've seen, and as you've just mentioned, the tactical tweaks they've made while retaining their own identity have been very, very impressive. And I did think in that Croatia game, that was maybe the best performance I've seen from a team in this competition in terms of the tactical plan they had that you've mentioned and you wrote about very well on The Independent, how Argentina's four midfielders 
just swamped that three-man Croatian midfield. And whichever Croatian midfielder picked the ball up immediately had two Argentine midfielders converging on them and they couldn't get to the areas they wanted to get to. They were forced to play where Argentina wanted them to play. Yeah, I think that'll be an important thing again for them. And you know, we'll get a bit more into how we think they might line up shortly. But I think the, there are two real options for Argentina and both of them are going to be decided upon how they intend to defend against France's midfield, basically. Um, I, I'm a little bit tempted to say Morocco showed how to obviously play against France in, in certain areas of the pitch, but also Morocco were kind of a, a special and standout case by themselves because they were obviously more open than you would expect some teams to be in that semi-final, but they still dominated areas of the pitch, certainly in the second half. On the other hand, they were chasing the game, a position that Argentina don't want to have themselves in at any stage, obviously, in the final. So it's not just a cut-and-paste job that you can do. Argentina still have to have their own identity, let's say, defensively as well as offensively. Um, I, I actually think this is like such a... Just as a football match itself, to, even if it wasn't the final, anything other than a friendly, basically, which has something riding on it. There's so many... 1v1s and so many areas of the pitch here which make this a, a really really intriguing tactical game mm. and uh, like I said before there's so many storylines and backstories and subplots to it as well it just makes it kind of an, an all round very intriguing and tough tough to separate them game it does it does for sure now so the French beat Australia 4-1 beat Denmark 2-1 lost 1-0 to Tunisia but played a, a very rotated squad Beat Poland 3-1 in the round of 16. Beat England 2-1 in the quarterfinals. And then, as you've mentioned, beat Morocco 2-0 in the semifinals. There's been some criticism of France over the past couple of games because of how they're setting themselves up. Um, Playing quite a deep block, inviting a lot of pressure, allowing the opposition to have the ball. But... Isn't that the smart thing to do when you can put trust and faith into your defenders and know that you have game changers on both flanks and in that number 10 position going the opposite direction? I mean, you could be talking about either team there, mate. With that, it, Exactly. <laughs> um, but Argentina haven't been criticised for it, whereas France, I think because France are the reigning champions. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? More is expected of them just because they won it last time. And <laughs> last time it was quite explosive and dynamic and seeing, obviously, Mbappe almost come to life. But I think it's easy to overlook the fact that that was visible because they were playing at times quite similar. You know, you could see the pace and the speed of them on the break because it was on the break and they were hitting teams on the break at times. It wasn't always a completely dominant side. And I don't think that there's anything wrong when you haven't got all the same players to play in a slightly different way. I mean, you wouldn't expect them to just, you know, endlessly, repeatedly make somebody do the Blaise Matuidi job, would you, when he's no longer with the squad and when they don't have that exact repeat player to come in and plug that gap. They have to find different ways of doing it. Like Adrian Rabio. They didn't have an Adrian Rabiot last time, really. He's maybe playing more or less the, let's say, the Paul Pogba role, but he's not playing in the same way as Pogba did. He's not no. getting anywhere near as advanced as Pogba did. He's not playing with a direct number 10 ahead of him all the time. Um, it's it's a different side, and I think that they've they've 
what Deschamps has really managed to do is allow the best players to play um, in a particular way which suits their game within the team structure. I don't think there's anything wrong with backing your, your defensive um, capabilities at all, especially once you're already heading games. It's not like they're sitting back and waiting for the teams to open up. They, they've they led matches and then gone a little bit more defensive-minded and compact and everything because why not? You know, you've got rapid players like that, Dembele on one side and Mbappe on the other. If, if teams overcommit against you, there's your killer second goal or at least the chances for it. And we have seen that several times already. So there's absolutely no wrong way to get to a World Cup final as well, as far as I'm concerned. No, definitely not. And and there is this myth that they dominated the ball in the entirety of the last World Cup. But, I mean, you can quickly disprove that. Against Australia, they had more of the ball, 55% to 45%. But they had less of the ball against Peru, 43% to 57%. Against Denmark, they had 68% of the ball, which is the most in the tournament. But the game ended nil-nil because they couldn't find a way to break the Danes down. In the round of 16 game where they knocked out Argentina, they had 39% of the ball. In the quarterfinal game against Uruguay, they did have 62% of the ball, but that's Uruguay. That's what Uruguay do. They give you the ball. They don't want the ball. And as much as you might not want the ball, they want the ball even less. In the semi-final, they had 36% of the ball against Belgium. And in the final, they had 34% of the ball against Croatia. They, they won the World Cup largely with the same mindset and mentality as they've had this time. There are definite tweaks to the shape and formation and to certain individual roles. Like you said, Paul Pogba had a specific role in that team. The reason he was able to have a specific role in that team is because he had Matuidi and Kante either side of him. And between them, they have about 43 lungs. And they were able to do all of the running for him and allow him to play central and get forward and dictate games and things like that. They don't have they don't have that now. Nobody has been given that much license to have kind of a free role. This team is a lot more I think they work harder off the ball than that team did. Um, there's obviously, you know, some holdovers, Lloris, Varane, Mbappe, Griezmann and Giroud. They all played in the last final. They'll all play in this final. Uh, Lucas Hernandez probably would have, but he got injured. So his brother will play. It's funny to see Samuel Mtiti's name there and, and know what's happened to his career since. Um, but, yeah, there is this idea that France won the World Cup last time out playing this swashbuckling style of football that just didn't happen. They, Like you said, they countered teams to death. They would get a goal and then they would bed in and just be like, right, well, come and score. Come and attack us and, and see what happens. And that fella over there, he's going to absolutely rinse you. And that's what happened throughout the tournament. They would bed in and just give it to Mbappe and he'd create absolute chaos or they'd play through Pogba in midfield and he, he'd open things up. They're playing the same way, and it's an identity that I think, to his credit, Deschamps has gotten complete buy-in from this group of players. Now, they are potentially going to be without Rabio, without Kingsley Coleman, and without Upamecano for the final, 
the hope is apparently that Rabio is going to be okay. Upamecano, they're maybe better off if he's not available because it will force Deschamps hmm. to play Kanate. And Kanate has been significantly better in this competition than Upamecano. Yeah. And then Kingsley Coleman, it's a little bit unfortunate because you mentioned it in, in our last podcast, Usman Dembele hasn't had a particularly good tournament. Kingsley Coleman would be the natural alternative to him. And if Coleman's not an option, it, it, it's just going to be that. Now, it was probably going to be Dembele anyway, but at least yeah. it would have been it would have been a decision if Coleman was at 100%. But if he's at less than 100%, it makes it quite easy for Deschamps to just stick with what he has. Yeah, I mean, I... I... Wouldn't expect that he would suddenly change Dembele for the final after he started all the other ones anyway, to be honest. But even having the alternative on the bench or the option off the bench to change it or, you know, even a half-time swap. We, we haven't really seen too much of that from France, but the option is there if, if it's not working in an attacking sense. I think Dembele, to be fair, has been doing like quite an important role tactically for the team. But I just think that on the ball, he's not actually been anywhere near his best. Um just, just you know, to clarify what we really think of him, he's he's very good as an outlet for them. Obviously, he's one of the first balls that they do look for if it's not going to Mbappe, um, and he has linked well with Griezmann at times as well in, in that channel. But we know he's capable of a lot more in the one v ones. He hasn't really been a much of a goal threat, I don't think. Um, more expected of him, basically, considering the last few months that he's had which is really the only good few months that he's had since the last World Cup. Um, it's been a quite the, the career circle, let's say, between World Cups um, for Dembele. But other than that, I think they have to have Rabiot back. Like it was, I think it was illness, wasn't it? That he was out with rather than yes. injury. So you would imagine that he's not going to miss the World Cup final unless he's like literally can't get out of bed, um, that kind of illness. So fingers crossed for him because he deserves it. He's been one of their best players. Um, I genuinely think that he might go with Kanate now. I've kind of talked myself completely the other way around to what I was thinking afterwards because Kanate was just so good in that semi-final. It's it's a like a show-stoppingly good performance that he yeah. produced there, uh, and I do think that against the movement and the aggression that Argentina have in that attack, when it's Alvarez on one side and maybe. Powell sort of joining in a little bit as well. Obviously, the ability of Messi is its own thing, and it doesn't matter which defender you have sometimes. But against the rest of it, I, I do think Canate surely now has the edge on on Upamecano. So maybe maybe Deschamps kind of uses that as his leverage anyway. Even if Upamecano has recovered, just says let's work up final. We can't take the risk basically. So it's Canate, and it was going to be him anyway. But he's using that as his. Mm. reasoning as such. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. No, no, and neither would I. Um, so like I said, these these sides met at the last World Cup and produced probably the game of the tournament, a 4-3 win for France. Now, there are some holdovers, like I mentioned, in the French team. Um Lloris, Varane, Pavard is in the squad. He's just not, he's, he's out of favour. Mbappe, Griezmann and Giroud. Argentina, you have Messi, you have Di Maria, Tagliafico and Otamendi, the only ones potentially starting this game, who started that game. It is 
crazy to see Mascarano's name there because in my head he's been retired for about eight years. Argentina have come so far though. In that game, they lined it up. Lined up. Sorry, they lined up with Marcus Rojo at centre back, who, as everybody is aware, was an absolute train wreck. Um, that game obviously will have no bearing on this game, but if we could get a game like that game, I think everybody would go home happy. Griezmann opened the scoring on 13 minutes. Di Maria and Mercado put Argentina 2-1 up. Pavard scored. Mbappe scored. Mbappe scored again. Aguero got a late consolation for the Argentines. But for about 70 minutes, that was a hell of a game. And both teams really tore into each other and produced magic. And if we can get a little bit of magic in this game on Sunday, Carl, I think everybody would be happy. I won't expect seven goals. I think... It would be probably the biggest shock you can imagine if there were seven goals in the final. But I do think there will be goals from both teams because I do think I do think there's there are some weak links in both teams defensively. Even if Ibu starts, Kunde's not playing at his very best. Mm. Teo has had a couple of shaky games. The England game, the most shaky of them, but. He also, given how much he attacks, there can often be space left in behind him. You feel like if it's not Rabio in midfield, there might be a bit of space to play between the lines for Argentina, which is where Messi will live. And then for Argentina, you're not going to be in love with either left-back option. And Otamendi is a player that he's had a good tournament, but there's there's always an error just lurking around the corner with him. And would you really be surprised if either Emmy Martinez or Hugo Lloris made somewhat of a howler in this final? Yeah, I mean, I'd be a lot more surprised if it was Martinez than if it was Lloris. Yeah, Lloris, I think, has played very well in some games, actually. I think, that, again, a little bit of a dodgy game earlier in the tournament, but overall, I think his performances have been good. Like, consistently good compared to what he produces week to week in the Premier League these days. Um, I th- I feel like the biggest loss for France might be Rabiot if he doesn't play. I think that that makes a huge, huge difference to how this game might pan out. Like he's been that good for them and not just the fact that he's been that good, but the fact that it's been Fafana keeps coming in for him and hasn't been that good. And if it's Fafana again in the final... Either he needs to raise his game enormously Mm. or Argentina suddenly have a very, very big advantage in that area of the pitch. And it's not the be all and end all. We we discussed the fact that across the the quarters, the four quarters and the two semis, only one team who had more possession actually went on to to progress. And that was only a a very marginal more um, percentage of of the ball. Mm. So it doesn't mean everything in itself, but it's not so much the having the ball as the ability to do stuff with it. And if Rabio isn't there, if they're not controlling that area of the pitch, they are going to get the opportunity to give the ball more to McAllister, give the ball more to Messi, feed passes a little bit more through to Alvarez maybe. And that's where obviously the danger for Argentina is going to come from. Uh, it's not necessarily that they might dominate possession or have more of the possession, but the fact that it might be in such key areas around their best players, that it makes the difference in terms of real scoring chances. Um, I think that the biggest 
call that Argentina have got to make is whether to go four four two or three five two. I think they have the option to do both. He's obviously gone to the three at the back in two of the knockout matches during the game and started it against the Netherlands. So it's obviously their, let's say, secondary system at the moment. Um, but whether or not they start it here, I think you have to have the three in midfield against um, France to begin with. But the good thing for Argentina is when they play the three at the back, it is three in the middle and it's two up front. The two up front, I think, has to stay. Uh, mentioned this again in, in after the semi-finals that getting Messi and Alvarez so close together has really benefited Messi because Alvarez does a lot more of the running and a lot more of the work rate for him but that in turn benefits Argentina so you have to keep the two together so that's why I think it's the 4-4-2 or the 3-5-2 as such so you're still going to be able to match up in midfield and keep your attacking pairing together whichever mm. system of those it is the other defensive uh, decision then obviously is how do you deal with him. 3-5-2 is going to obviously allow a, a central defensive cover in that channel, which would be Romero behind the fullback, the wingback. Um, whereas if you go 4-4-2, it's a little bit more man-to-man almost. And Nahuel, I think, is fine in terms of the speed and the running and the defensive awareness. But individually, in defensive moments, he is still a little raw. He's still a little bit untested at the very, very highest of consistent levels. Um, so that's a, a big choice that they have to make. And I think it will be, again, I think we, we might have discussed this when it was when it was Guy's team in the tournament. If it's wing-backs, I'd say Acuna starts. If it's full-backs, Tagliafico. Yeah. So I think I think Deschamps only has one big decision to make. Because if Rabiot's fit, well, actually, no, he, he has one definitely to make and he has one potentially to make. So if Rabiot's fit, Rabiot starts. If he's not able to play, he has a decision to make there. Does he give Fafana another opportunity despite the fact he has largely stanked the place out in both starts so far? Or does he roll the dice and play Eduardo Camavinga? My assumption is he'll play Fafana. But the hope will be obviously that Rabio starts. The big decision he does have to make is Ibu versus Upamecano. It shouldn't be as tough a decision. But he's a very loyal manager and Upamecano has been his first choice. Ibu has been significantly better, though, and that's that's where he should land. Scaloni, on the other hand, does have bigger change, more big uh, decisions to make. Like you said, does he go? Does he go with the four four two and try and just you know bed in, do the things that worked against Croatia? The midfield battle will be slightly different, but. They can still outnumber France four to three in there. Just play it a little bit narrower, a little bit more compact, and make your your wide midfielders aware that not only are you going to have to play narrow, you're going to have to get back and help those fullbacks as well because that's where the big threat from France will come from. Or does he go three five two? Again, like you said, left back is is a big a big choice for him. And I think you're right, Acuna. If it's wing backs, Tagliafico. If it is uh, the the four four two and the big, I suppose the big decision in in terms of do you want to play the three five two or the the three five two or the four four two is who do you trust more in a final? Do you trust Lisandro Martinez or do you trust Leandro Paredes? Because that's basically who you're mainly picking between. 
if it's four four two, Paredes starts. If it's three five two, it will be Martinez. I would be inclined to say I would trust Paredes more from the start of this game. But I can see the logic in going with the wing backs because you can put your wing backs up tight against Mbappe and um Dembele, and then you have Romero and Martinez who are comfortable in those channels. Should the full back, the wing backs get beaten, those two are comfortable and quick enough to get out and sweep up in behind them. Scaloni has big decisions to make, and I, I think I think if he gets it right, I do think Argentina win the game. That's kind of where I'm leaning right now. I think this game will come down to the possession game and who wins the possession game. And by that, I, of course, mean which team can force the opposition to have more of the ball. If Argentina can, Fran- can force France to have the majority of possession... I think that plays strongly into their hands. And the same vice versa. If France can make Argentina have the ball, that is what France want them to do. Because maybe they start to creep up the pitch a little bit. Maybe some of the defenders get a little bit swift, like a little bit lax in their concentration and they switch off. If there's an early goal in this game, it will shape the final entirely because of the mindsets of these teams. But the longer it goes without a goal, the more open it could get. And that's where it really that's where it really will come to, you know, which team can stick to their game plan the longest. Who can avoid the traps of wanting to go and win the game and stick to a game plan. Again, I kind of feel like the Argentines might be a little bit more disciplined in that regard. I agree, but I think that so much with Argentina changes when they concede a goal. Um, if they're if they're a goal up, I would back them to you know have the fight and have the defensive discipline, and then France, like you say, are forced into having a bit more of the ball and so on. But if France <clears throat> if France score, I worry still that Argentina can become a bit too frantic and a little bit too panicky and chasing it and all the rest of it you know um i i 100 percent think that the first goal in this could easily be the one that which wins it that's it like it could just be a one nil game this mm. i hope it's not i i actually hope that there's quite a lot of back and forth and like there's going to be a few uh individual moments let's say which even if it's against the run of play can very much change the outcome in the course of the game but there's just so much at stake and Argentina have already shown more than once in this World Cup that when they are chasing or when things start to go against them, it can get ragged quite quickly. Yeah. And it's not just the Netherlands game. like it, The Australia game as well. well. The Australia game and the Saudi Arabia second half. Mm. You know, it is not just a... Maybe maybe the fact that they got through um, the, the Netherlands game, you know, positively in the end, and then they came through the semi-final without really um, having to put themselves back in that sort of same mentality. Maybe that makes the difference which counts. Um, that that would be a big you know, mental step forward for them for sure. But I do still harbour concerns, let's say, that they may let that kind of thing get to them a bit. If this game gets frantic, France will win this game. If this turns into a basketball match and it's end-to-end stuff, France will win this game. 
because France are more suited to that type of high-tempo football. Argentina need to slow it down. They need to keep things in hand. They need they, they need this game to go at their tempo. They need the game to be played where they want to be played. If they start to get ragged and they start to get dragged out of position and France start to just, you know, drag a centre-back out of position, which causes the other one to step across, and now you've got two wide channels inside your full-backs for Mbappe and Dembele to burst into or Griezmann to slide into and just pick up a pocket of space. That's where Argentina will get will have problems. The other area Argentina can have problems as well is when teams start to just lump balls into the box. Now, Otamendi and Romero are good in the air for their size, but they're still both small defenders. I think Romero's 6'1", and Otamendi's about 5'11". Olivier Giroud could very well be the key to this game because he gives France that opportunity to just be a little bit more agricultural and just clip balls into the box from because you know he's going to win his fair share. And if he's winning them and getting directing headers on goal or more dangerously for Argentina, if he's knocking balls down to that onrushing three who play behind him and Argentina's midfield is not fully switched on, there's chances for Mbappe, for Griezmann and for Dembele. I think France have more ways to win the game. I think Argentina needed to go to plan but I backed them to, to force it to plan. So you're going on Argentina win? I'm going to pick Argentina to win. I've picked France to win since pre-tournament. And this is... I, no, it's not probably. This is definitely my heart overruling my head. <laughs> I, I want Argentina to win this final. Yeah. Because I want Lionel Messi to win a World Cup. And it's not because it would settle any ghost debate or any of that nonsense. This game does not impact on what he has been as a player in in any way. What it will do, though, is it will give him what he's always been denied, which is the adulation in his homeland. He'll never be as adored as Diego. He'll never be held up like Diego. Diego's not considered a man in Argentina. He's a god in Argentina. And Messi will never be that. But Argentina's relationship with Messi has always been quite a cold one. And he's always been looked at almost as if he's not fully one of them because he left so early and, you know, his entire rise was at Barcelona. Diego made his name in Argentina and he brought eyes to Argentina. Messi didn't. And I want him to get that adulation because he deserves it, because he is the best player that we've seen in the last 30 years. And I've said before, I will always say, until somebody else impresses me more, the best player I believe that we've ever had was Diego Maradona. But I think Messi is the greatest player we've ever had. Because he hit a level of this is the best player in the world. And for 12 years, he sustained that level. He was the best player in the world from 08 to 20. Nobody in the history of the game has been the best player in the world for that long. And the fact that he doesn't have 12 Ballon d'Ors just goes to show that that fucking award is a nonsense. (laughs) This guy... Was was head and shoulders above everybody else 
for 12 years. It's ludicrous. It's ridiculous the things that he's done. And his legacy is secure no matter what. But I want him to have that adulation in his homeland. And that's the biggest reason I want him to win this competition. My brain says France have more ways to win. France will win the game. But I'm, I'm going to go for Argentina win. I'm going to go 2-1 to Argentina. Yeah, I, I'm the same as you in that I actually want Argentina to win this now. But I am going to stick with... <clears throat> who I've said all the way through since the beginning and I'll stick with France. So I'll go same score other way around. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that is the logical thing to do. I'm, al- I'm allowing myself to be illogical, which yeah, I, I, I do quite no, often, obviously. Yeah. And look, the world cup has been highly illogical at times. Yeah. We, we've kind of ended up with a, you know, a logical final, if you like, but in, in the most illogical, illogical of ways. Yeah, completely. Like nobody would have thought like everybody. Th- France were clearly, the favorite if, if if everything went to plan, France were clearly the favorites to end up in the final. The only team that looked like they could stop them along the way when you did a pre-tournament bracket was Portugal. We might get Portugal at their apex could stop them because they have not the same level of talent, but a very similar level of talent. But the other side, I think a lot of people looked and thought it'll be Argentina or Brazil. But no one had Morocco in the semi-final bracket. No one be pre-tournament. No one. No one looked at Morocco and Croatia and thought they're definitely two of the semi-finalists. Yeah, because they were in a group of Belgium, and there was a, an assumption that Belgium would come out of it. Like no one had Saudi Arabia beating Argentina in the first game, and I think when that happened, a lot of people wrote Argentina off. As I said earlier, I, I just think it's been. Like you said, a completely illogical World Cup that's given us a logical final. But I want an illogical end. And there's, there's, there's part of me that would love, like, if it was anyone else, I'd be 100% backing France if they were playing anyone else. Because I'd love to see the history of back-to-back World Cups, because we've only ever seen it twice. Italy in 34 and 38 and Brazil in 58 and 62. So it's been 60 years since anyone retained the World Cup. And I kind of look at the French team and the squad and the other 21s and think, two might not be the end of it. They could win three or four in a row because they've got that much ridiculous talent. And it's it's not an impossibility because the World Cup is only every four years. It's not an impossibility that in four years they could win it again. And then following that, they could win it again. Mm. There's just so much talent there, but I I, I want Messi to have his moment. And there's other players in that squad as well, like Enzo Fernandes. How amazing would it be to have the rise that Enzo has had over the last six months from playing for River Plate, going to Benfica, making his name in Europe, and all of a sudden, he's now a, a foundational piece. Alexis McAllister. Imagine if Brighton and Hove Albion... Imagine the Brighton and Hove Albion tweet, we have a World Cup winner. Brighton have spent most of our lives in the lower leagues. When I had a season ticket at Brighton, they played in the lower leagues. They were shit. The stadium was shit. The club was a shambles. They were in debt. And all you ever heard from the locals was, 
this summer might be the last summer we might go out of business. And, and now here they are with a player in a World Cup final. Like this, you know, Aston Villa, they've been garbage. They're managed by Unai Emery now, which is to your delight. And they're goalkeepers playing in a World Cup final. Like there's just there's good stories out of this Argentine team. And like I love Christian Romero as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's mostly messy, but there's a few others there that I'd like to see. I'd like to see have their triumph, but yeah, so I'll go 2-1 to uh, Argentina. You've got 2-1 France. We'll bring Guy in and we'll get a we'll get a, a deciding vote. Guy, prediction for the final. 4-3 Argentina. Beautiful. That's the best final ever, if that That's the best, literally the best final ever. But what we want is Argentina 4-0 up by half time. And France just throw caution to the wind and get an early goal. And then it's just chaos. Carnage. For, for like, yeah, and we get like 12 minutes of stoppage time just because, yeah, that's that's what we want. Right, guys, stick with us then. Let's do, uh, before we go, let's do players of the, uh, your player of the tournament. Carl, start with you. Who, who's your player of the tournament? <sighs> I think it's only between two now. Obviously, Mbappe was definitely in the running earlier on, but I think over the last two knockout games, Griezmann has eclipsed him. So I think it's between him and Messi, personally. Um, and uh, in terms of the, the golden ball, I would be absolutely okay with it being determined out of the two who has the better final overall. But for naming it right now, I think I would have to go Messi just about. Yeah, I'm, I I I agree with 100% with what you've said. I think it is those two. I think if Messi, if if sorry, if Mbappe were to do something ludicrous in the final, like score a hat trick, yeah, you could absolutely warrant giving it to him because through the group stage and round of 16, he was the best player at the tournament. But the last two games, he's been below what was expected, and Griezmann has been absolutely outrageous throughout the whole thing as has Messi. I think I think one of the reasons I wanted to do it today was to not have it, you know, skewed by what happens in the final. Um, though, as you mentioned pre-tournament, it often goes to a player on the losing side rather than a player on the winning side in the final. So, you know, Messi could have more heartbreak but be voted player of the tournament as he was in, in 2014. Um, so I'll go Messi as well. Guy, who's your player of the tournament? Because I hope Argentina win, I'll go Griezmann. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Messi has been the best because I think although Griezmann's role's so important and it's changed so much from what you expect, Argentina don't have the second best team in this, or one of the best teams in this tournament. Like we, That's fair. We've spoken about Brazil, we've spoken about... Serbia. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I think Messi, without Messi, I don't think Argentina get this far. I know they've changed it and brought all the young midfielders in and people have stepped up and stuff like that. But without Messi, I don't think they're probably getting beyond the quarterfinal. I, I, I would agree. I would agree. I, I think if you look, like the Netherlands squad, I would say is as strong as Argentina, Argentina's, maybe even a little bit stronger without Messi but they have met but Argentina have Messi and that's what makes the difference Portugal are stronger I would say Spain are about as strong 
but they don't have Messi. Um, and there's others as well. Like England. England have a, have a, a better squad than Argentina. They just don't have Messi or the right mindset or the right manager. Um, right, young player of the tournament. Uh, Guy, we'll go to you first. An under 20, a 23 and under player who for you has been the best at the tournament. How old is Julian Alvarez? He is 22, I believe. I will go with him. Because, as I mentioned, or, well, today's pod that we're recording, um, I think without him coming in for Latoura Martinez again, the way he worked with Messi up front and obviously the way Latoura was playing, I think Alvarez coming in, just being an off-ball demon, just being able to be in the right positions at the right times as well, I think, off the top of my head, because I didn't plan any of this out, I just thought, it's him. I think he's made the biggest impact out of the young players I can think of. I think that's a fair shout. Carl, who would you go for as your young player of the tournament? Um, I will go for Josh Guardiola. just about overall. I think, aside from you know 25 minutes against Lionel Messi, he's been a standout for his team. A big part of the reason they got as far as they did. Some massive massive individual moments really key that block, block against on the line the late Lukaku yeah I mean wow. loads and loads of really really important moments and just playing way 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 above his, his years and his experience really yeah I'm also going to go for a defeated semi-finalist Azadine Unahi of Morocco I, I think he has absolutely established himself as a player to watch Moving forward, I, I would be stunned, absolutely stunned, if there's not at least one sizable offer for him in January from a big club. Um, I think throughout the tournament, he got better by the game. A little bit over- overshadowed, obviously, by the hype that uh, Amrabat got. And, and Amrabat was was absolutely immense as well. And he could have been, but he, he is, he, he would have been in the, in the conversation for, for player of the tournament, I think, uh, you know, a level below Griezmann and Messi, but right there. Um, but Unahi's the one for me. And a, a big part of it, I think, is I wasn't familiar with his game before the tournament. Like, Guardiola expected because he's been immense. And the question was, how much could he carry Lovren? And he could carry him quite a bit until Lovren went AWOL in the, uh, the semi final and, and cost. Croatia two goals uh, with just sheer stupidity like even the third goal if Gradiol gets beaten by Messi fair enough everybody gets beaten by Messi if Lovren does his job Alvarez isn't tapping home from four yards out with no defender around him you know uh, so I wouldn't even knock Gradiol for that but Unahi for me I just I just I, I want to reward that Moroccan team as well because they were they were absolutely heroic uh, let's go then to Coach of the tournament or manager of the tournament, I think there's two candidates here, and I'm not sure which way I want to lean. So I want to get hear, hear what you guys have to say. I would say Lionel Scaloni is one because of the tactical changes he's made, because he's gotten all the big calls right and he's made the big decisions when he's had to. He's made big decisions at left back. He's made big decisions in midfield and he's made big decisions in attack, including leaving out Angel Di Maria, who, you know, pre-tournament, you would have put him in in pen that he would start as many games he was available to start. 
and I'd be shocked if he starts the final at this point because they just look a significantly better team without him. I think he deserves huge credit in, for his role in getting them to this final. And the other one is a name that I am about to butcher. Uh, Walid Redragu, the Moroccan manager. I, to to turn that team around the way he did in such a short amount of time, to instill such a disciplined mindset in them, and get the results that he did, I think huge credit has to go to him. So they're the two I'm I'm torn between. Carl, who who would you lean for as your manager of the tournament? I'll just about go for Agui. Um I think it's a more difficult thing to get Morocco to a semi than Argentina to a final. Um I think, you know, maybe if he if Argentina win, you can absolutely obviously make the claim for, for Scaloni. But I think the amount of history that which has been created there, the overachievement, the the amount by which they've bypassed expectations and the fact that they were very, very good in doing it, footballing and defensively, uh, I will go for Mr. Morocco. And Guy, what about yourself? Oh, I, I, I don't think it's close, personally. I'm, I'm going with our mate Walid, um, which I've butchered somehow even worse than you did. Um, yeah, just... Uh, people had them where well, they were in the group of death and to get to the semi-final as a Morocco manager without conceding... It, even even the goals are conceded against France. They had yeah. no centre-backs. <laughs> no, and the both goals were flukes. Exactly. So to to create a system that was that efficient, that effective, in such a short period of time, because what what was it? Eight games he's had as manager now, or nine games or with the yeah. third place playoff. Um, that's insane. And yeah, it, he he's made history, and hopefully they get third um, tomorrow. So yeah, um, really, it's just un, it's unthinkable that they came third or fourth in this tournament. So, I just want to read you this line from his his Wikipedia page. On the 31st of August, 2022, Radragu was appointed as the new head coach for the Moroccan national team after the dismissal of former head coach, uh, Vahid Halihozic. So, October 31st, the World Cup is starting in November. This is, this is the line, though. Critics were unhappy with Regragui's appointment and derisively nicknamed him Avocado Head. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how the critics feel now. They should buy him a lifetime supply of avocados to make up for that. Um, His first game in charge was the 21st of September. A friendly match. They beat Madagascar 1-0. 1-0. I, I don't know what the team was, but that was their first game. And all of a sudden, they came into the World Cup and just looked like they'd been together for years, playing this way for years. A stunning tournament. They drew with Croatia. They beat Belgium. They beat Canada. They knocked out Spain. They knocked out Portugal. And 
it was just a step too far, unfortunately, against France. The injuries mounted up. They lost Agard before the game. Masrawi and Saiz clearly weren't fit. Saiz went off really early. Agard went off, or um, Masrawi went off at half time. It just felt like it was a step too far for physically. Not not mentally, not in terms of talent, not in terms of how they set up. And even with all those players falling out, they still managed to play their football and do their thing and gave France a really good game. Yeah, you've 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 sold me on this. It, it's a clean sweep. Um, this is our coach of the tournament. He'll be delighted. This this makes up. I'd imagine knowing that we've all picked him as coach of the tournament probably makes up for losing the semi final because yeah. you know some things are just bigger than football. Yeah. Um, Got to go with the off-pitch stuff. <laughs> Can I say as well, you, you mentioning it there because you, you you read it on, I assume, Wikipedia. Yeah. It reminds me that um, when I was obviously doing the research, Morocco were actually in the group that I was, um, let's say, in charge of. We all had a, one group, basically, that we were responsible for the, the quartet of teams um, on the Indie Sport Desk for the duration of the World Cup, let's say, all those teams. So in my um, research for Morocco before the tournament started, I saw that line that you just read out about their first game being against Madagascar. And it's just reminded me now, I actually never found any evidence of that match taking place. Like I went back to look at where what I could see from that first game. It was not listed anywhere. No, no recordings of it. I literally cannot find a single shred of evidence that game was ever played. So whether it was and just wasn't a FIFA date and was like behind You're closed right. doors or whatever the hell it was, I have no idea. The only reason we know it's real, Carl, is because they Sorry? kept a clean The only reason we know it's real is because they kept a clean sheet. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that, isn't it? I mean, like, there, there so was it makes a, it sound believable. <laughs> yeah, they, they kept clean sheets against Paraguay and Georgia before the World Cup, and which, you know, so that, just... all, that all continues the theme, but I, I cannot find that Madagascar game anywhere. Yeah, that's funny because it says they played them on the 21st, but they they played Chile on the 23rd. Yeah. And they beat them 2-0, of course. They beat them 2-0, then they beat they did draw 0-0 with Paraguay. Then they beat um Georgia 3-0, of course. So the first goal conceded by Morocco, that's not an own goal, was that Teo Hernandez goal, which is a complete fluke that the ball even ended up at him because Mbappe was shooting. And the second goal is the uh, Colo Moani goal, which again is a complete fluke because again, Mbappe was shooting. That, uh, what, what a defensive <laughs> performance. Like, Jesus Christ. Nine games, you've conceded an own goal and two flukes. That, that is outrageous considering who they've played. Who they've stifled is just incredible. Yeah. Get get that man. Get that man fucking whatever the Moroccan equivalent of night it is. That fella deserves it because that's some turnaround. Because that, that was a team in shambles before he took over. Um, like the USA battered them in the summer. Absolutely battered them. 3-0. It could have been... It could have been six or seven. They just carved them open time and again. Um, right, we will leave it there then. We have predicted the final. It's two of us going for Argentina, one going for France. It really could go either way. It wouldn't be a surprise. 
the only thing that would be a surprise is if it ends up with Guy's scoreline of 4-3. I think that's the only thing that would actually surprise me, but it would surprise me in a really good way. Um, or if one team won 5-0, like, that would be a bit of a surprise as well. Um, we have given our players of the tournament, our young players of the tournament, and our managers of the tournament. We will have one more of these World Cup daily pods next week. We will talk about the final and we'll probably maybe do our most disappointing 11 or something. Do we want to end on a low like that? Or do we just want to preview the final in the last, or uh, review the final in the last one? Always oh, finish on a negative. Yeah, <laughs> I think we have to do the funny negatives. Yeah. Perfect. Radio. So that will be next week. Carol, have you got anything that you want people to be aware of? Uh, yes. I would like people to be aware that you have forgotten to do the golden boot. I have completely forgotten to do the golden boot. That is very true. Right. So, uh, as things currently stand... And goal of the tournament. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Right, okay. We're saving that until after, because that's going to be in the final itself. That's going to be the 4-3 winner. Right. Golden boot. Lionel Messi has five. Kylian Mbappe has five. Julian Alvarez has four. And Olivier Giroud has four. So, Carl Matchett, who is winning the Golden Boot in this tournament? You've predicted a 2-1 France win. Yeah. Who's winning the Golden Boot? After goals, it's assists. Um, should point that out. So, if they finish level, it goes to assists. If they still finish level, it goes to minutes played. So, at the moment, neither Alvarez nor Giroud have a goal. Uh, sorry, have an assist. Uh, Mbappe has two and Messi has three. So Messi is technically ahead at the minute. But if Mbappe equals him with an assist and neither of them score, Mbappe will win it on minutes played because he's like a full game fewer than Messi is. So it is marginally Messi at the minute if neither of them do anything. But if France are scoring two, I have to imagine Mbappe does something for one of them. So I'm going to go with Mbappe just by maths. And Guy Drinkle, who's your pick for Golden Boot? Julian Alvarez is getting all four goals for Argentina. You're uh, getting a Julian Alvarez tattoo <laughs> after this World Cup, aren't you? I, just, it's, I like an FM region, you know. <laughs> he doesn't really exist, does he? It's, it's a bit disappointing that Guy is such a fanboy of a Man City forward, isn't it? You have to, you have oh, to, if, we ever, if we ever sign anyone from South America, I will change my ways, but we will never do that. We only buy people for 80 mil after they've come to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Which we, we, well, we don't spend 80 mil, I should say. It is just a bit mad to think that him and Enzo moved for a combined 30 million and we were too scared to do it because we watched them both for two years. Um, I really think it'll be messy, though. I, I Yeah, I, I think it'll be messy because I'm, I'm going 2-1 to... To Argentina, and if Argentina score two goals, Messi is going to be involved in at least one of them, probably both. Mm. So and Argentina will... are definitely getting a penalty again. <laughs> well, there's the thing. France have had a couple of questionable decisions go in their favour, as have Argentina. So maybe it comes down to who the refs like more. If Teo plays like he does against. Um did against England, Messi will get five penalties yeah, in this that's game. True. Do you know 
We'll finish on this. My favourite messy thing right now is the villain arc of just being a complete prick <laughs> pre and post game. I love it. I think it's it's what he's needed for a long time. I, I just I just think his his he is going to by sheer force of will make this a really competitive game. And if he can pull off a bit of magic, that's where Argentina win it. So I'll go for him to win the golden boost, to go with his golden ball. And then that will be his last World Cup match. He'll probably play at the next uh, the next Copa America because they're defending champions. And if they could go to that, having won this and win the Copa as well, they would match what Spain did in winning three successive international tournaments. And then he'll have been part of one of the greatest international teams of all time or one of the most successful international teams of all time and one of the greatest and or most successful club teams of all time. And and that, I think, will matter a lot to him because unlike the man who has been fakely compared to him for a decade, team is what matters to Lionel Messi. Team success, not individual success. And yeah, I think that's why he warrants this. Um is there actually any work that you've done that you would like to make people aware of? I'll plug them on the last one after the final. Cool enough. Give Carl's Twitter a follow at Carl Matchett. You'll find most of his work linked there or just go to the independent website and read what has been very, very good coverage. Um, some people are under the impression that there's a paywall on the independent. There's not. When that little message thing pops up, if you just click, I'll try later, it disappears and you can just read the, the work that is being done and it has been very good work and very important work by um, Miguel Delaney who has been at the tournament uh, highlighting some of the issues around the World Cup so do make sure you check all of that out follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle and we'll see you after the final bye bye we hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index. And find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.